It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Friday, September 8th, 2023. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. The Sitka School Board on Wednesday took steps to improve compensation for coaches and substitute teachers. For the past several years, the substitute pool at Blatchley has been fairly small, around seven people. Principal Ben White said subs were remarkable in a way that was different from regular classroom teachers. You know, I think what it comes down to is, A, it takes a special person who wants to just walk in blindly to a classroom full of kids and say, hey, I'm going to be your teacher. I don't know you. This should do fine. White said that many of Blatchley's full-time teachers were subbing for their colleagues during their prep periods. He himself subbed 43 days last year. And so when that happens, it, we make it work, but that's also not really a sustainable system. To encourage the hiring of more subs, the Sitka School Board voted unanimously to increase the daily pay for subs to $150 for non-certified subs and to $200 for subs who held teaching certificates. The board also voted to approve a 2% across-the-board raise for coaches. Interim Superintendent Steve Bradshaw said this would amount to a bump of $40 to $90 for each coach for the entire year, depending on the activity. In addition to classes, sports and activities are underway at Sitka High School, using funds raised by the students last year. The expected allocation of district money that kicks off sports like swimming and cross-country and activities like debate and drama didn't happen last year for reasons that remain unclear. And at its regular meeting Wednesday night, the Sitka School Board postponed making an allocation this year until members could be sure there were funds to cover it. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. This was the question that dogged the final weeks of former Superintendent Frank Hauser's tenure in Sitka. Why wasn't an appropriation from the Sitka Assembly to help defray the costs of student activities deposited into the activities account? Current Interim Superintendent Steve Bradshaw listened in to the tense board meeting last June when his predecessor was put on the ropes by concerned parents and coaches. He attributed the missing money to a change in district accounting practices rather than to any malfeasance. From my perception, it sounded a little bit like uh, somebody was questioning where the funds went. Well, the funds were always there, and I don't, I don't blame the former superintendent. I don't blame the board for uh, wanting to be cautious with how they spent that money because of the fear of cutting teachers out of the classrooms that has been a priority of this board, from what I understand, for quite a few years now. That money is $132,000, which is distributed at the beginning of the school year to all student activities in chunks of $6,000. Bradshaw proposed that the board authorize a transfer of the money from the general fund to the activities account and put the controversy to bed. But he wanted members to realize that it wasn't just loose change. $132,000 is approximately the cost of a full-time teacher. In any case, the money for a transfer simply may not be there. I'm not necessarily opposed to it. I just think as a board member, I need to do my due diligence and my fiduciary responsibility and be able to answer that question. Do we have the money to do this? Member Tristan Gavon was on the board last spring when it adopted a bare-bones budget that just about drained the district savings account. By his math, a $132,000 transfer, though needed, would put the district in the red. 
and he was also concerned that the proposed transfer would benefit high school students exclusively. I think we need to have a broader conversation, and this gets back to transparency and our role engaging students and parents and families and the community and all of our stakeholders. Um, but I want to have a discussion. I want to know how student activity money is allocated across all of the Sika School District. Gavon didn't think the conversation could move forward until the books had been closed on the last fiscal year, which they weren't. He motioned to table the transfer until the next meeting when the board would have a better grasp on its finances. High school principal Sandra Ludwig urged the board to not wait too long to act. Student programs were in full swing, using unspent money they had raised last year. By October, we already have activities going. I mean, we have cross-country and um, volleyball and swimming. We hosted swimming this past weekend. Volleyball's going on right now. These guys have already begun. They already didn't get their allocation last year. And while the city has promised that 132 for this year, they still haven't seen that. Lundvik said she felt some of the hope for the student activities budget surrounding Sitka voters' passage of the marijuana tax last year was unraveling after the State Department of Education this summer cracked down on the Juneau School District for supplementing its budget with local money in excess of state law, so-called outside-the-cap funding. That decision could have major ramifications for Sitka schools, which have depended on outside-the-cap funding for student activities for decades. Board member Tristan Gavon recognized the need for haste. He just didn't want to spend the money the district didn't have. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. The only licensed daycare provider in Haines is losing assistance from a federal food program. The inspections necessary to qualify for the program will not be offered virtually anymore, and traveling to Haines does not fit in the budget of the organization performing the inspections. KHNS's Alan DePremenel has more. For over 25 years, Kim Larson has provided childcare services in Haines. All this time, she has received assistance from the U.S. Department of Agriculture's food program. This allows her to provide free meals to the children in her care. I serve nutritional meals. I have to report daily what I serve, and uh, those meals are covered by the federal food grant that the state of Alaska gets. According to an Alaska Department of Education representative, in one month this year, over 170 daycare providers filed for reimbursements for a meal, serving on average 1,200 children a day. But this assistance for Larson and her Kids Are Fun daycare is about to end. To qualify for the program, her home has to undergo three reviews per year. They do unannounced visits, and they just come and make sure, you know, I'm serving the right food. For lunch, you have to have a meat, you have to have a vegetable, a, a fruit, a bread, and milk. You have to serve the milk, and the right type of milk for the infants and the older kids, and the serving amounts. Every, I mean, it's, it's a lot of paperwork. But Larson says the ten dollars to $12,000 she gets from the program every year are worth the hassle. The reviews are performed by nonprofits who act as sponsors and do much administrative work. Their staff travels to daycare providers around the state. The cost and time commitment for sponsors is high, and many nonprofits have quit. 
there is currently only one organization in the state of Alaska that provides sponsorship, the Alaska Family Child Care Association, based in Anchorage. It is expensive to send staff to a town to do a single inspection, so the AFCCA has a policy of not traveling to towns that have only one licensed daycare provider. Haynes used to have two, but one closed down a few years ago. Fortunately for Larson, during the pandemic, the federal government issued waivers allowing for virtual reviews. It seemed to work great, you know. It was still a surprise. I never knew when they were going to call, and I had to answer the phone because they know what time I serve my meals. And, yeah, I showed them the type of milk. I showed them the meals I was serving. But now the USDA is back to mandating in-person reviews. Last month, Larson received a letter from the AFCCA. One sentence stood out. It said, quote, Due to budgetary concerns, the cost of sponsoring homes in Haines is not feasible currently. Larson says without the assistance, she will have to increase her rates. I think it's like about $175 more a month per child. With the way child care is going right now, it just doesn't seem right that the state and the federal government can't come to a way to help the people in rural areas. Gavin Northey works at the Alaska Department of Education, which administers the assistance program at the state level. He says he has taken steps to try to make sponsorship more affordable. So I have submitted a request to the USDA requesting a waiver so that only one visit be required in person, and then two visits could be performed as unannounced virtual visits. Northey says even if the waiver is issued, there is no guarantee a sponsor will step up. He says the reviews are necessary to discourage fraud, and that a broader problem is that less daycare providers are getting licensed and opting into the program. He says if more providers participated, the food assistance program could reach farther into rural areas. You know, our goal is to serve as many children across the state of Alaska as possible. So certainly we encourage um, if there's daycare homes out there that aren't licensed to get um, licensed and to consider participation so that it will make it possible for um, a sponsoring organization to take on the programs in Haines um, or other locations in Alaska. A USDA brochure promoting the food assistance program did not appear to differentiate between the food children eat and the food they drop on the floor. For KHNS, I'm Alan DePermineau. For transparency, the reporter's son attends the Kids Are Fun daycare in Haines. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News. 